welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. It isn't just about the more you can do, the better you'll be. Otherwise, um, you know, I don't think it would be as uh, as unique and as beautiful of a sport. And uh, each person ultimately regardless of the coaches you have or the support networks you have, ultimately, you know, it's your responsibility to figure out how all those pieces come together and what's going to make you your best. It's a lot about laying down these really fine layers and, and getting the accumulated load over and over. So if you go to, if you go to total failure one day, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to come back in the second, third or fourth day and do anything productive. So net productivity is actually enhanced by knowing that point where you should back off. That was BMC Pro Tour rider and Olympian Brent Bookwalter expressing very eloquently what is the art of training. Hi, this is Trevor Connor, your friendly neighborhood VeloNews coach, along with my usual partner and superhero writer, Kaylee Fretz. Today is our second Mythbusters episode. We're taking on two myths that are the opposite of the art of training. The belief that you should always do what's on your plan and that you should always do your intervals as hard as possible. We're going to explain why these two commonly, though often unspoken, beliefs are actually myths and lead to bad training, some of the time. More importantly, we're going to try to help you know when you should and shouldn't push through, when you should and shouldn't go as hard as possible. Neither is a simple answer, and it's easy to make the wrong choice. As Brent said, what it may come down to is understanding how each workout fits into your week, month, and overall training plan. We're going to hear from a whole lot of riders and experts with different opinions, including Lucas User, Dr. Inugo San Milan, Grant Holicky at Apex Coaching, Robert Pickles with Pearl Izumi, Frank Overton at Fastcast Coaching, and a little more from Brent. They're not going to always agree with one another or with what we say, but that's why this episode is really about the art side of cycling. So let's make you discerning critics, and let's make you fast. The first and I think this is a really big one. There are a lot of amateur bike racers out there or just people who want to ride better and faster who, you know, they pay a coach every month or they pull a training plan out of a magazine or something like that. And they feel like they need to follow that training plan to the letter, every single little piece of it. There, This isn't always the best way to do things, is it, Trevor? It's kind of a myth. No, actually, this is one that I have to... Uh talk with people a lot because they think that pros, they're given a plan and, and come hell or high water, they're, they're going to do it. And, and I can't tell you many times I've heard people talk about even Tyler Hamilton's book where Tyler was very proud of the fact that every day he went out and did what was on the plan. Every day he did those intervals. What he's not addressing is you talk to anybody who's been on doping products, you feel great every day. That's very easy to do when you're doping, but, but you know, you remember from your peak cycling days, you don't feel great every day. I felt bad most days, actually. <laughs> Just as a general rule, if you're training really hard, you're not going to feel really all that stupendous every single day. And that does not necessarily mean that every single time you go out and your legs feel a little bit heavy, you just abandon the intervals that you're supposed to be doing. But it does mean that if you go out and you can't hit power numbers or your heart rate's doing wonky things, that's probably a pretty good indicator that you should be rethinking the day's activity. That's exactly it. This really surprises people, but when you talk about 
what's the difference between pros and amateurs in terms of the ways they train, it's actually the exact opposite of what you think. I see tons of amateurs that will go out and do their plan to their death. When you talk to pros, they adjust every day. They start with a plan for the week, but then each day they go out. How do my legs feel? How's my heart rate responding? And if it's not where they want, if their body's not recovered enough, they do what their body needs, not what's on the paper. A lot of pros also have a very close relationship with a coach who's keeping an eye on everything that they're doing every single day. And if you don't have someone to look over your shoulder, you have to look over your own, essentially, and be very, very careful about how much effort you're putting in and your and your what your body is telling you, essentially. You just have to be very honest with yourself when you head out if something feels wrong. Uh, explain to me, real briefly, Trevor, why exactly you need to be careful of this. I mean, no pain, no gain is what everyone always says. Isn't it, aren't you sort of forcing your body to get used to the additional workload if you're pushing through, not necessarily injury, but if you're pushing through fatigue, isn't that a good thing? It would seem like a good thing on its face anyway. So I actually think a better principle than no pain, no gain to apply to this is what's the fundamental principle of training, which is you need to stress your body, stress your body beyond what it can handle. And then you let the body recover. And in recovery, it not only repairs all the damage you did, but super compensates and builds the muscles back stronger. So the key question, the, the, the ultimate way to train is to hit that ideal amount of training stress. Too little, you don't super compensate. Too much, and you've overloaded the body, and then you start pushing burnout. And you can't put on a sheet of paper two weeks out, here's exactly the right amount of work to hit that level of stress. So you use that as a starting point, but ultimately you have to listen to your body where it says, okay, I'm damaged, I'm stressed, give me that rest now to, to compensate. And often the plan won't quite match up with that. We caught up with Bookwalter to talk with him about what's too much. Brent attributes a lot of his success to the art side of training. Knowing there are times to push and times not to, times to stick with the plan and times to listen to your body instead. Ultimately, it's about pacing yourself and seeing training as a whole. Let's let Brent explain. As much as cycling is a sport where your hard work and your commitment and the, the amount you push yourself and the amount you do does yield a benefit, um, without a doubt, there's a point when uh, it goes the other way and actually starts to hurt you some ways it is a little bit of a no pain, no gain sport because you're not going to get better out just by sitting on your couch or you're not going to get better just by, by doing easy rides all the time. But um, just as much, it's a, it's a sport of moderation and knowing when to say when and a sport of balance, really finding your own personal balance for all those, how all those little pieces fit together, you know, things like their family, where they live, how long they've been racing. And it isn't just about, the more you can do, the better you'll be. Otherwise, um, you know, I don't think it would be as uh, as unique and as beautiful of a sport. And uh, each person ultimately, regardless of the coaches you have or the support networks you have, ultimately, you know, it's your responsibility to figure out how all those pieces come together and what's going to make you your best. So continuing along with this, when you're going out and doing intervals, Again, do you think there there's a balance there? If somebody gives you a threshold workout or a Tabata's-type workout, should you just be going until you crack? Or is there a point where you go, another set just isn't worth the, the cost? Yeah, that's, um, that's something I think of often. And 
I think it's important for me personally, it's important that I'm really um, in the loop with my coach and we're on the same page in regards to my workouts. Not only what the type of interval is aimed to, aimed to achieve or aims to accomplish, but the ride as a whole, depending on where it fits in my periodization and my training and race program, a threshold workout, for instance, one day, it may be for me to kind of go past that limit, go, go almost like a race, go as deep as I can, go as long as I can, go to failure and actually push a little through. I think at certain times there can be value to that physiologically and psychologically too. But I would say more times than not, I would say the majority of the times, the voice of reason sort of wins over. And once, once I'm not able to um, effectively or productively do uh, whatever workout or, or power number, or heart rate number, or whatever parameter we're working with, then you cut it and you head back home and you factor that in and make sure to make good notes about it and look at as many variables as you can and adapt uh, for the future sessions. So that way you would say when somebody's going out and doing intervals, that's the, the point where you say, okay, I'm done for today. As, as soon as you can't do it with sufficient quality, you're, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, like I said, I think there is um, – I think there is some value to, to going going past that and really going pushing yourself to failure past past the point um, once in a while, but that's not something that I'm doing um, on a weekly basis and definitely not during the season in between races. Or like what I what I really like is yeah you have a workout you have a zone you have a maybe even a number you know if you once you drop below twenty percent of this number then you stop but then like an like a basic overview, like at the end of the day, this is how, this is how you should feel, or this is what, this is a productive workout. And some days, productive day on this particular day is, is really limping in the last two miles of the ride and really just being, really having given everything on the road. But most of the days, no, that isn't the case, especially with, I think where I'm at training now, it's, it's a lot about laying down these really fine layers and, and getting the accumulated load over and over. So if you go to if you go to total failure one day, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to come back the second, third, or fourth day and do anything productive. So net productivity is actually enhanced by knowing that point where you should back off, keep a little in the tank for the next day or two days from then or three days from then, and uh, you know get back home and know you can do it again the next day. I like to think you can always add on, add on more, but once it's done, you can't take it away. There's no way you can, uh, you can undo it in a hole, but you can always add more later in the ride or in the next ride or in the next week. That was actually going to be my next question: is, um, is it worth crushing yourself one day, or is it better to, to keep the day a little easier so that you can then go out and do quality again the next day? Yeah, I would, I would personally, I would definitely be in favor of of stacking up the good quality on top of each other repetitively time allows. I think it's a sort of a common training misconception and, and part of it is fueled by, I know people's schedules, people have a busy work week and they go out and they have a free couple of days on the weekend or they take a long lunch break one day and they really want to make the most of it. And I'll be the first one to say it feels good to, we all kind of get high off that feeling, you know, that we get in a race, you know, when you're in a breakaway and you're really giving it all and, you're putting it all on the line and you empty yourself and you get done and you have this sort of this calm clarity because you, you physically gave everything you had, mentally gave everything you had. But I think productively training 
it isn't beneficial or realistic to do that, you know, on a, on a weekly basis or uh, multiple times per week. I think, I think a lot of people would be better served by a, a little moderation, backing it down a little bit. And then, um, you know, knowing maybe, maybe they didn't totally crush themselves on their Saturday ride, but because of that, when they hit Tuesday, they're still going to be able to get, even if it's only an hour in, they're still going to be able to get some quality in as opposed to still being in a, a body bag come Tuesday and needing all until the next week and to recover. So I think one of my favorite examples of somebody doing what's on the paper or doing what they think they should do as opposed to listening to what their body can handle was that ride you and I had many years ago with, with our, our good teammate, Adam. We were going out to do hill repeats. Adam went out to do them with us, even though he wasn't quite ready. And he got through them, but when we were riding back, we had a couple hills to get over on the way back, and you and I sat there with our hands, remember that, on either side of them, pushing, pushing him up the Adam. hills. <laughs> yeah. Because he couldn't get up. <laughs> I feel like we pushed Adam more than once, actually. It's quite And this possible. dude was very, I mean, Adam was, uh, he was second at collegiate road nationals one year. He's pretty strong rider but you hurt yourself like that and you can't get over the hills on the way home so back in my training days my body used to tell me that i was sort of on the on the road to overtraining generally with uh with some weird heart rate stuff like i wouldn't be able to get my heart rate up uh, or i would start an interval and, and just sort of physically be unable to hit a power figure that I knew I should be able to hit. Um, but there were some other things too. There was like, like if, if, if I wasn't, sometimes I wouldn't sleep well if I was getting close. Like what else can people look for? I mean, you, we, we keep talking about people's bodies talking to them. How do they do that? How does your body talk to you? So you hit some of the really big ones. If you go out and do intervals and you can't hit the power numbers, go home. If you don't have a power meter, it's often great to do Like if you're doing hill repeats, have a start point, a finish point that you use for each hill repeat. And if you're getting slower and slower with each interval, that's an indicator that you're fatigued. If you have a heart rate monitor, if your heart rate seems low, that's a real indicator that that your body's overtrained and it needs rest. Lack of sleep, uh, even mood state. If you're getting grouchy and you're snapping at your significant other, it might be time for some rest. What's the bike racing equivalent of hangry? Train, trangry. Tired, gree. <laughs> Let's not. We'll 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 change the subject. I think I like tired. <laughs> All of our experts agree there are times when you should stop what you're doing and go home, but there are different opinions on the signs. You've heard mine. I believe that for interval work, if you can't be done with sufficient quality, don't do it. Not everybody agrees. Ex-professional rider Lucas User and Grant Holicky, a head coach at Apex Coaching, both share their thoughts on what are and aren't the signs to pull the plug. So I'm here with Lucas User, now former professional cyclist, but we're going to talk about back in the, in the good old days. Lucas, obviously you, you, you probably had a coach back in the day. You're getting training plans from that coach. If, for example, you, you rolled out in the morning and, and your legs just were not feeling sort of up to task... Were you the kind of guy that would, would push through and, and do the training plan anyway, always? Or do you have to listen to your body on a day like that? You know, as a professional, we, we, there, is a, there is some part and some accountability of you having to go out there and train and get, get the job done. And then on the other hand, you actually have to listen to your body and make sure that you have uh, 
you know, res- respected the fatigue and the and the travel and everything else you've been doing, and 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 you have to learn what that is for you. Uh, and so what I would do is I'd go out and and if I if, you know if you felt rough for the first hour like that that can be normal you know you could have come off of a a big travel a big race uh, a hard training block whatever it may be like you got to listen to yourself I, I was never I was never one to just turn around right away I'd always give it a give it an at least an hour you know at least get out there at least feel it out warm up uh, and then you have to base it off of perceived effort right like. We have a lot of metrics out there these days. We have a lot of heart rate. We have a lot of power. We have a lot of kilojoules. You name it. You can you can get that information these days. But like the the one thing you need to really focus on is this rate of perceived effort, right? Rate of perceived exertion, and recognize that like just because you are not meeting certain numbers doesn't mean you're not getting the benefit of training. And I, and that's where I see people turning around these days. Oh, I didn't do 350 watts at the climb, so I'm bad. I'm going to go home. Well, you also don't know what else was factoring in on you doing 330 watts versus 350 watts so you're still going to get the same physiological benefit at 330 watts you might not be putting out that power but if you keep that training you might be doing 400 watts in a couple of weeks right so like it's 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 recognizing that you're not always going to be at your best and you're all you, you will have those moments that are that that you have to just settle for a little bit less but those are still beneficial all right so i'm, I'm here with uh grant Holicky of apex coaching and we have a, a question for grant should you push through intervals no matter what and if i go out and i feel like absolute death warmed over uh is that a good indication to stop and how specifically do i know i should stop so just like everything in life there's no simple answer to this the one thing to remember all the time is is we tend to look at our power numbers as absolutes my threshold is 250. If I can't hit 250, there's no value to this workout. I'm falling apart. Reality is that there's a much bigger system at play here. And remember that one of the ways we describe threshold is functional threshold power. Functional is one of those terms that means that this may change. This is something that may be different, uh, especially for our, our amateur riders out there. Our lives are tend to be our, our our limiting factors. What was work like this week? What was family life like this week? Did you get dumped this week? Did you you know did you dump somebody this week? Whatever it happens to be, those outside influences have a lot to do with where we are physically as we walk into these workouts. So our functional threshold power, my my tested LT might be two fifty. My function my FTP on a certain day might be two thirty. So in general, if you're not hitting the numbers, there's still value to that workout. Putting yourself in that energy system and putting yourself in that place is going to give you a return for that training down the road. The simple ways to describe when it's probably right to pull the plug is if you're one of those riders that usually is really emotionally invested in their riding and really enjoys doing the interval work and you're dreading it and you're miserable and you're annoyed, pull the plug. Walk away creating a a negative feeling toward that workout probably is not going to create a positive return down the road and and look back at the couple days before is the sleep really low do you feel a little bit um, sick in terms of the overall physical well-being Uh, are you dehydrated are these uh, and if you see two or three of those things coming together it's probably not the right day to go out there and and hammer yourself okay 
So myth number one, busted, which is follow your training plan exactly as it's written every single day, which if you really step back and think about it, we all know that that's a bad idea. But when you are a couple weeks out from a big event, it can be kind of hard to convince yourself to step away from what you've, you've planned for yourself already. Myth number two, <laughs> and this is another, uh, we're going to jump right back in intervals here. The higher the wattage you do your intervals at, the better. Now, I am not Coach Trevor, so I'm not entirely sure why this is. It seems to me that if you would be able to do more power in your intervals, you would be better. <laughs> why am I wrong, Trevor? Well, I think the best place to start with that one with is uh, sharing with you my own unbelievable stupidity. And I will tell you one of my, my guiding principles as a coach is do what I tell you. Don't follow the stupid things I do. Because uh, every coach needs a coach. So I've been wrestling for the last couple of years with the fact that I'm getting agent. I'm not as strong as I used to be, Trevor's and I don't super like it. Old. <laughs> I am old. So I had a struggle for a few years w- with with doing hill repeats. I have these 10-minute hill repeats that I used to do. Back when I was at my strongest, I would do these hill repeats at, at a good wattage. I was doing them up at kind of 400 to 420 watts for each repeat. Then I got old, and I had a year that I went out, and I didn't like what I was seeing for my power, and I really wanted to be doing them at my old wattage. So I would force it out. I would go out and try to do these intervals at at 380, 390 watts, and they hurt. At half the time, I couldn't get through them because I would blow up, but I would sit there and go, but I'm I'm trying. i am got to do them harder. i got to do them better. And I did a whole winter of that. And by the end of the winter, I wasn't any bit stronger. Two years ago, I finally realized I was doing exactly what I was telling my athletes not to do. And my wattage just wasn't what it used to be. So I went out and said, okay, what should I be doing these at? And I did them the way they should be feeling, and the number was depressing. I was down at 100 watts below what I used to be. And I just went, that's fine. I've got to deal with that. And I just kept doing the intervals at that wattage. But then it changed. I was getting through each Uh, each set I was getting through the workout and it took time but over two months the power came up and it came up and it came up and what was most important is well I was never hitting the wattage I used to hit where the previous year I was trying to force out 380 watts and never successful after two months of doing them right I was back up to 380 except now 380 was right now I actually was stronger than I had been the previous couple of years. And you could actually finish the interval And set. I could finish the interval sets. Right. So, so the, your point then, <clears throat> if, I'm, if I'm interpreting correctly, is that the danger is essentially overreach in doing intervals in that if you think you should be able to hit a certain number or you just have this, this figure in your head, you know, I want to be able to ride at five watts per kilo or whatever it is that you just try to do your intervals there and assume that your body will catch up and that is fundamentally incorrect and you have to work your way up and be able to actually finish interval sets. Spot on. That's We all get caught up in that. We all get caught up in the, I want to be doing five watts for a kilogram, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for a minute. Next time I'll do it for two minutes and it just keeps getting better. And there might be a little bit of truth to that, but what's more important than that is realizing that what we're really trying to do here is train energy systems. We have multiple energy systems in our body. And just to to simplify it for this myth, uh, let's just talk about we have an aerobic energy system and we have an anaerobic energy system. 
And the problem that you run into, and I got this from, from Robert Pickles over at the uh, CU Sports and, and Medicine Center. I love the way he talked about it. I love his it, name. Yes. He talks about it as set your body up for success. And, and I really like that, and I share that with all my athletes. And what he means by that is train the right energy system. And that's what I was doing with those hill repeats. When I was trying to push out the higher wattage, what I was doing was hitting the anaerobic system. So all of a sudden, I was burning more glucose. All of a sudden, I was raising my, my sympathetic nervous system, which causes a lot of stress in your body. And that was pushing burnout that was causing my body to basically break down where if you do the intervals at your threshold or just below your threshold then you're hitting the aerobic system and there's an interesting thing about our bodies where they will favor the anaerobic system so if you start hitting it it's going to train that system often at the cost of the aerobic system so if i when you train at that lower wattage you're building that aerobic system even if you could go harder you're training the wrong system harder. For another perspective, we caught up with Inigo San Milan, the director of performance at the CU Sports Medicine and Performance Center, and a former physiologist for the Garmin Pro Team, among others, and asked him, from a physiological standpoint, why is it so important to do your intervals in the right zone and not as hard as you can do them? So, um, yeah, as, as Trevor uh, very well mentioned earlier, is that, um, yeah, you'd really want to train different energy systems, right? And, 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 and each energy system, and that's kind of like a, what it should be. That's like the virtue of coaching, right? You, you want to target each energy system differently, right? And for that, ideally, you translate that into training zones, right? That's why you have your training zones because each training zone addresses one different energy system. And that's where like uh, your intervals are as high as possible. You're not really identifying or targeting that, that one specific training uh, energy system. Because that's the whole thing, you know, people, oh, this is your training zone one, zone two, zone three, and you ask many coaches and what does zone two mean or zone five or whatever the nomenclature you want to call it, what happens at that intensity, right? And uh, people don't know. And each intensity, it, it just relates to one energy system. So you're saying that zones one through five are not just totally randomly picked. They are relating to individual energy systems. And so that's why you essentially have to sit inside that, that zone to train that particular energy system. Absolutely. That's, for example, what we do in the lab. We clearly identify the different zones. And we translate that into heart rate, into watch, into pace for runners, right? But there's a purpose of its zone. That's why it's important to understand what zones mean. This is actually one of my soapboxes when I when I talk with athletes because I'll hear people all the time out in group rides saying, oh, I'm doing a zone two ride, I'm doing a zone four ride. And I'll immediately ask them, well, what does zone two mean? And they look at me and go, well, you're a coach, don't you know? And I go, yeah, I actually have a pretty good idea, but what does it mean? And then they give me a blank look and go, well, it's a zone two ride. You go, you, you don't know what. Right. And so the one thing I, I, I will caution all of you, and again, forgive my soapbox, is make sure you understand what energy systems you're targeting with that zone and also make sure you're using a good zone model where it's targeting the right systems. Otherwise, just going by a zone can hurt you as much as it can help you. 
Likewise, I, I think definitely, you know, as you know very well, there are so many coaches they don't know what zones are either. So I would also ask athletes to ask their coaches what zone two and zone three is, right? So that that um, uh, you know, there's like a better debate or understanding among the entire community, whether you're a coach or you're an athlete. Which brings us back as well to making sure that you. Uh, either get tested in a lab or or do your own testing properly so that you actually know which zones you're supposed to be in and, and, and how those relate to the you know your heart rate and your power and things like that. Because if you do the testing wrong, then you're in the wrong zone the entire time anyway, and then the whole thing is moot. This winter, I was running a, a morning weekly trainer session up in Toronto. And I had a lot of really good, dedicated athletes that came in and really wanted to raise their level. And we were focusing on improving that threshold power. Unfortunately, what I saw with some of these athletes was it was all based on their FTP, their functional threshold power. And a lot of them went with the biggest number that they had seen the previous summer versus training where their bodies were at at that moment. So they were training 30, 40 watts too high above what they should have been at. And they really felt these intervals hurt. I'm pushing myself. I'm going to see great gains. And we tested their level about every six weeks to see how much they were improving. And a couple of them were were really frustrated because after two and a half months of this, when we did our third test, their functional threshold number hadn't changed at all. And so they came and spoke to me like, why is this not changing? What we did see was their shorter-term power, their one-minute, their five-minute power really went up. So we were seeing improvements in their anaerobic energy systems, but the threshold stayed the same. And the reason being, and it it hurt me to sit there and talk with them and and tell them this, but I'm like, you've been doing these intervals targeting the wrong system, and that's why you're not getting stronger. That's why, you know, it's not about the highest wattage you can hit. It's not about doing these intervals as hard as you can. I had to explain to them, it's about targeting the right energy system, and you weren't doing that. So because they were doing the intervals at a power above, essentially, their aerobic threshold, they were tapping that anaerobic system and training that anaerobic system and not training their aerobic system? Right. The fortunate thing was they really wanted to train their aerobic system. Which is is what you should be doing in the wintertime, right? Right. (laughs) In general. It's a really easy thing to do. Now that we've made a case for always targeting specific intensities and used Rob Pickles to make our case for us, let's actually talk with the now head physiologist at Pearl Izumi and let him explain why, just like with Myth 1, it's not so black and white. I like to say that can and should are two different things. And when it comes to training, uh, you ought to be doing the things that you should be doing, not necessarily what you can. But that also has caveats, like everything, right? So if you are riding to build your aerobic ability, then yes, you ought to be riding within a range of intensities that we would call a zone, and that zone we typically call base. And so therefore, yeah, you should stick to the plan. If you are looking to improve your lactate clearance and you're training in a sub-threshold type place and you're doing longer intervals, longer climbs, then yes, you ought to be training in a specific place. However, if you're working above threshold at that point in time, I feel like the numbers don't matter. You should just be suffering, okay? And at that point in time, if you're doing, say, a five-minute VO2 efforts, then you should be going as hard as you can for that five-minute effort, okay? That does not mean that you go out at 900 watts 
and then by the end you're going 200 watts. That's not holding it as hard as you can. But if you can go out and hold five minutes at 400 watts, well, that's better than doing five minutes at 375, assuming that you can accomplish it. So if we're below threshold, I very much believe you need to stick to the numbers, even though you could go harder. If you're over threshold and doing short, hard efforts like you would be in a race, you just need to be deep. Your eyeballs need to be bugging out of your head and you need to be suffering. Just to clarify... Short effort, sort of five minutes or less in general? Yeah, depending on the training, I, I could maybe go as, as high as 10 minutes. But yeah, five minutes and less for sure. You know, when we're looking at 20-minute sort of efforts, we're typically looking to do those no higher than threshold itself. You know, unless we're testing and we're trying to get a, an estimation of that critical power through a 20-minute effort, obviously that's going to be as hard as you can go. So what about somebody training for a, a time trial or triathlon? If they have an FTP of, say, 300 watts... Yeah. And let's say they can do their intervals at 340. Should they be? Depends what the interval is. You know, for for a um, time trialist or a triathlete, then I'm doing a good amount of training at or just below FTP. Um, a lot of longer efforts at 95% and a lower percent of high-intensity intervals for them. Um, um, so longer efforts being 15-plus minutes with 45 plus minutes total of work during a session. So 3 by 15, 3 by 20, um, 2 by 30, sort of stuff like that. Those are longer efforts. You know, in that person, I'm doing a smaller percent of truly high intensity efforts in the 30 seconds to five minute range, then maybe I would be with somebody who is more of a road racer and needs to respond to pace changes in the pack or in the um, acceleration into a breakaway. Um, the differences between a triathlete and a road racer are two totally different situations, and we need to train them differently. I guess this is somewhat amusing because the first myth was don't always follow your training plan. And takeaway from our second myth is follow your training plan, you idiot. Is that correct? <laughs> We're contradicting ourselves already, Trevor? Yes, because the, the best part of being a coach is to constantly contradict yourself so your, your athletes are confused and keep hiring you. <laughs> That's exactly what I want. Um, <laughs> All right. No, seriously, what are, what are the take-homes from, from myth number two, which is that you should just shoot for some astronomical wattage in your intervals and hope your body catches up? So the first and key one is find where your numbers are at. Particularly find that, that what's called the break point in, in your lactate threshold or where your, your lactate goes up. And that's what we really think about is your anaerobic threshold or your lactate threshold. Best way to find that is to go into a lab and to uh, have them test for it. If you can't do that, another good way is to do an hour time trial. And that's a relatively good estimate, that one hour power looking at where your heart rate levels off. And then that's what you want to use, or you want to train actually just slightly below that to be safe. Do I have to do a whole hour, Trevor? Well, another thing that people <laughs> use, but it's not as good, is a 20-minute time trial, and then you multiply that by 0.95. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I was in the velodrome when Evelyn Stevens did her hour record, and I saw her after that, and I don't particularly want to do that. <laughs> Can I do like 50 minutes, 45 minutes? Which I completely get. And frankly, there, there's even another way with 
of, of finding it uh, just by doing your intervals. Let's say you're going out and doing those 10-minute repeats. Use a heart rate monitor. And when you are at or below threshold, or just below threshold, what you're going to see is your heart rate levels off. It, it, it kind of stays flat when you look at the graph. When you get above, your heart rate doesn't level off. It just keeps slowly rising. So if you do your intervals and you're going too hard and then you download it and see that constant just steady rise in your heart rate. Like let's say you did a 10-minute interval and right near the start you're at 175 and by the end of the interval you're 185 you were above threshold, you were going too hard. So what you want to do is, I mean, obviously you have that first minute where your heart rate comes up, but if you then get up to 175 and by the end of the interval, you're 177, 178 even, you were doing a better interval. Frank Overton is the head coach of FastCat Coaching and one of the inventors of the Sweet Spot approach to training. Sweet Spot is all about training at lower intensities instead of as hard as you can go. So Frank is very familiar with this idea of training at the right intensities. He'll talk a little about the Sweet Spot approach, but more importantly, he's going to use that as a launching point to really talk about our two myths today. Yeah, so it depends on the interval. Um, and the, the length of it and, and what kind of intervals you're doing to achieve which physiological adaptation. So I think the 90% rule falls kind of in line with the sweet spot. And that's, that's where you are training the, the sub-lactate threshold of 84 to 96% of your FTP, where the goal is to, to not go too hard because you will miss that physiological adaptation. And then you'll you also create more physiological stress that compounds itself and into suboptimal recoveries for the next day. So in other words, if you do go too hard, you don't recover enough in order to do the workout on your training program the next day. Yeah, so the the training plan or the training block is greater than the sum. Some of that is greater than just the individual workouts. And so when you go too hard in a workout and then you underperform the next day and even the next day, I mean, that's just one of the disadvantages right. of going too hard. But that's that's why Sweet Spot is dubbed Sweet Spot. It's just it's perfect. You get those uh, physiological adaptations, um, moving lactate in and out of uh, you know your membranes that the transport proteins, and you just teaching your body to be efficient at uh, that. And, and the greater effect is the, the dose of training you can achieve day after day after day is, is more beneficial than just going hard on one day. Um, now, on the other side of the coin, um, when I first said it depends on the intervals, if you are doing zone four intervals or zone five or zone six sprint intervals, and in your, the, I think the goal may be different. You are training for race-specific power outputs, and it's mental training as well. So you need to practice. You you got to practice how you play, and so it is. Uh, it is as hard as you can. But so then, then as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, okay, but it depends on how it's laid out in the training plan. You know, the intervals, and so some days. You're going as hard as you can, and then uh, on other days, you're not going as hard as you can. It's yes and no. It's also both. 
what are the physiological adaptations that you get that you would miss out on if you went harder? Ah, good point. Um, you know what? I like to use the uh, analogy your body is not a, a light switch. It's more of a dimmer. And so, you know, just because you're going less hard doesn't mean you're, like, you're achieving less mitochondrial density. Zone 4 and tempo training have the same physiological adaptations. It's just that the the side effect of zone four is you can't do it the next day. But if you do tempo, you could probably do tempo like two, three, four days in a row. So that's been another episode of Fast Talk. If you're ready to throw your hands in the air and proclaim you're more confused than before, I don't blame you. If there's one thing in training that's truly an art and hard to learn, it's knowing when to pull the plug and knowing just how hard to go. So let's leave you with a few thoughts that may clarify it. First, Simply, it is a myth that you should always do what's on the plan no matter what. But there are exceptions where it's good to push through. Likewise, it's a myth that you should always do your intervals as hard as possible. But again, there are exceptions. Let me summarize a few of the guidelines from the experts today to help you make your choices. First, and most importantly, the theme that we hope you get out of this podcast is that you need to look at your workouts in the context of an overall plan in terms of your week not just the workout itself. Going out and ripping yourself apart one day may feel great. You may feel like you did something really strong, but if that means the next three days you can't ride your bike, the overall effect isn't going to be what you'd hoped for. You always have to look at how each workout fits into that overall plan. And if you're going out and struggling, it might be better to pull the plug so that you can come back and be stronger on more important days. Likewise, it might feel great to go out and train as hard as you can and do those intervals at the maximum wattage. But again, if that leaves you really tired and it's going to be days before you can get back on plan, it might not have been the best choice. So every day you go out to do your workout, gauge how you feel, look at what's on the plan, but more importantly, look at how does today fit into the overall week so I can make those choices when I'm out on the road. Second, Listen to how you feel. Don't try to ignore your body. More importantly, find those signs that work for you. You had a whole, got a whole bunch of advice of the different types of signs. I'm a big believer in if you can't do intervals with sufficient quality, turn around and go home. But other signs are mood state. Other signs are heart rate reaction. Everybody has different indicators that their body is not ready for that workout that day. You need to learn what those signs are for you and and what means pulling the plug. Because just going out and not feeling your best or not putting out the biggest wattage you've ever put out isn't necessarily a sign. Sometimes what is a sign and what isn't a sign can be very close. Sometimes you feel bad and you push through. Sometimes you feel bad and you shouldn't push through. So really learn that differentiation in yourself. Finally, The type of workout really determines the effort. You need to know what you're targeting. And when you are targeting that base endurance, when you're targeting that threshold or that lactate clearance systems, that's where you really have to target a specific intensity and go at that intensity. So Frank talked a lot about sweet spot training, where you need to be sitting right at that sub-threshold intensity. We also talked a little bit about some threshold work where you need to be sitting right at your lactate threshold. 
There are other times, however, when you go out and do your interval work where you do need to rip yourself apart. And Frank, basically any time you are doing work that's above threshold, it's a little less about pacing yourself and a little more about pushing yourself as hard as you can. That doesn't mean start with a sprint. If you're doing five-minute efforts, as, as Rob said, you don't want to start at 800 watts and finish at 100. So if it's a five-minute effort, you need to do whatever power allows you to get through that five-minute effort at a fairly consistent effort. But it is the hardest you can go for that length of time. So that's it. I hope that helps to clarify things a little bit. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, the Velo News Podcast, which covers news from the week in cycling. Kaylee is part of that podcast and certainly shares his thoughts about what's going on in the pro cycling world. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is produced by Velo News, which is owned by Competitor Group. Thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individuals. For Kaylee Fretz and our large hosts of guests today, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.